2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, sometimes uh, as a pastor, you, um, you have to be really careful because the longer you pastor and the longer you preach, the easier it is to, to not get ahead of God, but to, to write sermons on your own. To, to, uh, to plan and, and you pray and you don't feel like God's leading you anywhere and you know you got to preach, so you just, you just open the word and put something together. And the longer you preach, the easier that is. And that's a danger for all pastors. And pastors, trust me, we talk about this all the time when we're together, is um, don't get ahead of God and don't start relying on yourself in, in, in the pulpit. And uh, because you might end up preaching a sermon that, that sounds good and all that, but you won't see anything um, in the lives of your people because it's not really what God wanted. Well, this last week was one of those weeks for me where um, I, I tend to pray and, and early in the week and, and ask the Lord for direction, um, and particularly when I'm in a series. I kind of pray beforehand and, and allow him to kind of line that all out for me. And I knew we were finished up with our missions emphasis series and and all week long, I was like, all right, God, are you wanting me to preach another series? Or are you just, what do you want? I know Easter's coming up. Uh, are you going to want me to, to, to preach on this or that? And, and I had all these different ideas, and I never felt led to any passage. Just never. And I'm getting better at one thing, and that is trusting God when it comes to preaching. What I mean by that is used to, by Wednesday, I would be so fretted that God hadn't given me, and I would start just writing stuff, hoping that if I started writing, that maybe his spirit would start leading, because I was afraid. It's it's scary thought sometimes to get up, and you, you know you got to get up and feed the sheep the word of God, and you're like, okay, God, what do you want me to feed them? And and um, this week was one of those weeks, and, and I couldn't get a grasp of anything, um, and, and this week was a little bit different. I just decided, you know, I'm not going to start writing stuff. I'm not going to start looking at stuff. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And um, Friday evening, I got a, a text message. Um, while I was in my office visiting with Tony Lawson, who had come to town, and I got a text message letting me know that Robin had passed away. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then you just get flooded with emotions and scriptures and thoughts and different things. And yesterday I went out and saw um, the family again. And then Jen and I and Gabby went to Shawnee. And we were coming back, and I still had no direction. I even looked over at Jen on the way back and said, what do you think I ought to preach on tomorrow? And she said, you don't have your message ready? And I went, no, I don't. And so this morning I'm standing here telling you I, this is not a message that I prepped all week long. But it's because God didn't give it to me till yesterday, actually until yesterday evening. And when I was at my parents' house, I was looking through some old things that I had looked up before um, and some verses of Scripture and just started to get kind of a feeling of God's movement. And then we came home last night and I sat down and, and I put this message together. And I want to share it with you because I think it's appropriate for this time. And I think it's why God didn't give me a message until then. Um, and so the message I want to preach on is called the God of all comfort. Um, and it's not just because we, we've lost a precious loved one of ours. Um, 
Robin, who has made an impact on probably every life in this room in some way, shape, or form. But just over the course of the last year and a half, I, I have seen various amounts of hurt in different ways. Um, some have been through loss. Um, some have been through adversity. Uh, some have been through trials. Um, uh, some have just been from the devastating effects of sin. Um, but I, I've seen lots of different things. And so this message is not just because we lost a dear loved one, but it's a message I think we all need. And, and, and we need to be reminded of. Because in this life, we are all going to face hurts. We are all going to face disappointments. We are all going to face loss. We live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, we live in a world where bad things happen. We live in a world where painful things happen. We live in a world where bad health issues happen. We live in a world where sin happens. And because of those things, we're going to experience some kind of hurt or disappointment or sadness. But the good news is we don't face it alone as Christians. That's the good news. And here's how I know it. it. It's a verse of scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Now before I read this passage, you need to remember that this is the second letter to the church in Corinth by Paul. And if you read his first letter, he, he uh, strongly, strongly corrected them for some evil in their church some bad things and he didn't hold back As a matter of fact at one point he said you better fix this before i get there now that's summarized but that's basically what he told them and so he's just written a letter where he's corrected them in in a, in a very strict way very vocal way yet he follows that letter up and i think the way he starts this letter is striking listen to it this is the second letter after he's just corrected them Listen to what he says in his second letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth with all the saints who are through uh, Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. Let's pray together. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and that the words that be shared today would not be mine but yours. And that, Father, you will deliver them right into the very parts of our hearts and our lives that need to be impacted by it today. That you would use this word to encourage us, to inspire us, uh, Father, to, to, to strengthen us in our walk with you, and, and that you would receive the glory and the honor for that is our prayer in Christ's name. 
Amen. You may be seated. So after Paul sharp, sharply rebukes the church in Corinth, he comes back and he begins his second letter with words of comfort. And the reason why is because the church at Corinth had, by, by historical accounts and what we know, they had taken Paul's first letter and they had begun to apply it and they had begun to actually get rid of some of the sin problems. They worked on the things and they were their worship services were getting lined out. All those issues that, that Paul had addressed in the first letter, those were being taken care of. But now the church was experiencing something different. And it wasn't persecution that was coming uh, from within the church. It wasn't persecution or issues arising from problems within the church. The church in the second letter to the Corinth were experiencing persecution from outside the church. They were beginning to make a difference. They were beginning to make a difference for the gospel. And when they did, they began to be afflicted. They began to go through various Issues and had various trials, and, and they had various pains and sufferings that they were dealing with. And so Paul writes them another letter, and this time he starts it off very clearly by comforting them or sending some words of comfort to them and telling them a very profound statement when he said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. And so this morning, that's what I want to share with you this morning, is I want to talk about God being the God of all comfort. Specifically, I want to look at how He comforts us in our afflictions, in our times where we are struggling, in our times where we have hurt and pain, where we experience loss or where we suffer physically or those areas. How does God comfort us? How does God give us the comfort to the point that Paul would say he's the God of all comfort? And, and really this morning, simply, there's three things I want to share with you uh, this morning, really clear, really simple. The way God, some things that God uses to give us comfort in our time of need. First of all, God is the God of all comfort because he gives us comfort through faith through our faith. Faith is the essence of the Christian life. Without faith, there is nothing. As a matter of fact, without faith, there is no Christian life. Because you can't have a relationship with God apart from faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So without faith, we have nothing, but with faith, and through faith, there is everything we need. And one of those things that he gives us through faith is he gives us comfort through our faith. Now, how does he do that? Well, well let, me, let me give you two things about how he gives us comfort through faith. Number one, he gives us our faith to begin with. Our faith is a gift to us by God himself. We don't develop our own faith. Now, some would try to use that to teach that, that God picks and chooses who he gives faith to. Let, let me tell you this. While Scripture is very clear that God is the father of our faith, and I'm going to give you those Scriptures in a minute, never does Scripture tell us that he limits that to anyone. That faith is available to anyone who wants it. He will grant it. 
But we know from Scripture that faith is a gift from God. Our faith, our saving faith, is a gift from Him. As a matter of fact, one of the verses that we quote a lot um, is Second uh, Ephesians, sorry, not a Second Ephesians, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, when it says, It is by grace through faith that we have been saved. A lot of times we, we kind of misquote that because the true quote is that it is by grace through faith and that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Uh, did you catch that? For you are saved by grace through faith, and that is not of yourself, it is a gift from God. Hebrews chapter 12, right after uh, Hebrews 11, he goes through what's called the Hall of Faith chapter. He defines what faith is. Then he gives, the author of Hebrews gives all these different examples of faith using uh, Old Testament patriarchs from, from the Old Testament in Hebrews 11. Then he comes to Hebrews chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, listen, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Did you catch that? Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author. The one who, who gives it, the creator of our faith. So he gives us comfort, number one, by giving us our faith to have faith. And then he gives us an incredible gift through our faith. And that gift is called the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. Scripture tells us that when we come to Christ in faith, we are given this incredible gift. And this is called the gift of the Holy Spirit Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. He says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when we come to a point of believing in Christ as our Lord and Savior, repenting of our sin and having faith in him, the Bible says that we become marked, we become sealed with the very Spirit of God as a guarantee that we have a relationship with God. Now, the, but the Holy Spirit, in a lot of ways, is kind of overlooked today. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot, and therefore we've kind of limited what He does in our lives as a believer. And He does a lot of things for us in our lives. And this is not a sermon on the Holy Spirit, because I could spend months on the Holy Spirit, and we still wouldn't cover it all, because He's just as much God as God is God, and just as much God as Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, if you want to know more, pick up Francis Chan's book, uh, the Forgotten God. It's a great book talking specifically about the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit does that I want to emphasize this morning is the Holy Spirit is a comforter to us. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus, and it's, we, we quote like the beginning of John 14 a lot, you know, for uh, it's when he says, uh, you know, there are many... Uh, I, there are many houses in my father's house. I go to prepare a place for you. Or I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. We, we quote that at funerals a lot. And that leads to John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So John 14, 1 through 6 is very common. But John 14 begins what's known as the farewell discourse. Jesus has his disciples in the upper room. And he's giving him, them his last instructions. Because as soon as he finishes his farewell discourse, they leave the upper room, they go to the garden where he prays, 
and where he's betrayed, where he's arrested, and then throughout that evening and into the night, we know the, the trial that comes and all that that leads to his crucifixion. It's, it's his last words before he's crucified. And he gives them lots of instructions. And if you want to know how Jesus uh, prayed for his disciples, that's in John uh, uh, 16. Uh, there are just a lot of information he gives them, starting in John 14. But one of the first things he tells them is, is found in John 14, 16. And he tells them that if I go away, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Another comforter. That word comforter is in the Greek literally paraclete. It's comforter. Sometimes it's translated as a counselor. But what it really is, in John 14, 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. That word, paraclete, literally means one who is summoned and called to one side, called to one's aid for the purpose of giving comfort, solace, or, let me write down the last word. Uh, we'll just go with that. Comfort and solace. That's what paraclete means. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The first time that Jesus tells his disciples about another one like him, and that word another, it literally means light of the same kind. That's how we know. That's one of the reasons why we believe in the Trinity. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says another. It's one of the same kind. They're, they're no different. But when he first says it's going to send him, he calls him the paraclete, the comforter, or the encourager, or the counselor, one that's going to come and comfort our hearts. Through faith, which is a gift from God, he gives us the comforter to our hearts. This last week, I was, after Friday, I, I went out and visited with the family a couple different times, and the only one I haven't talked to in person, face-to-face, -face, was Trent, and that's because every time I was out there, he was asleep. But I talked to Ty, and I talked to, to, to Jerry. And at different times, not in the same room, but at different times, they both made the same statement. And that was, I don't know how people who don't have faith do it. Both of them made that statement. Separate, not the same room, at different times. I don't know how people who don't have faith make it through it and I was sitting there going that right there shows a lot about their relationship with Christ and it shows that the Holy Spirit is is doing in their life one of the things that God promised he would do he was comforting them trust me they are not without pain they're not without hurt that that would be a false statement but there's a hope that they have that I've sat in the same room with different families who didn't have that hope, and it wasn't the same. They were grasping at anything and everything for comfort, and none of it would give them lasting comfort. But Jerry and Trent and Ty and their family have a comfort that only comes from one place, the God of comfort. And it's a comfort that will always be there. It will never leave us. It will always help us. That doesn't mean we won't have hard times. 
It doesn't mean that in our flesh we won't be sad and we won't mourn and have those times. But it means deep down we have an inner comfort peace from the promise that God gave us through the Holy Spirit. So how, how does God become this one that Paul would say is the God of all comfort? He does that through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Paul knew what that was like. Paul knew what it was like to be comforted by the Holy Spirit when everything else around him was falling down. If you read the testimony of Paul, he sometimes he goes into great detail. He's like, I was shipwrecked this many times, I was beaten this many times, and yet in all this, he even talks about here how if I'm beaten and afflicted, it's for your comfort. Paul had learned the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life to comfort him when everything else was falling down, when everything in this world was messing up and causing him problems. He had a deep-settled comfort that could only come from one place, and that was God himself. So Paul calls him the God of all comfort. That's the first way. That's the first way is he comforts us through faith. The second way that God sends us comfort in order, and we can call him the God of all comfort, is he also grants us comfort through his word. Through his word. You can, uh, Teddy, you can bring up that next point. He brings us comfort through his word or through scripture. Now, I want you to listen real quick. I, I, I want to read Psalm 119, 49 through 52 uh, to you. Uh, Psalm 119 is one of the, it's the longest chapter, longest chapter in all the Bible. But it's filled with truths about the word of God. Like our VBS pledge to the Bible. Yeah, I've making your word a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. That's from Psalm 119. That I may not sin again. That's from one, Psalm 119. So there's a lot of good things to say about his word. But listen to what the word of God says in Psalm 119, starting in verses 49 and goes through 52. He says, listen to this. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have been comforted myself. David writes in Psalm 119 the comfort that God gave him through God's word, the scriptures. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, listen, that we through the patience and the comfort of scriptures might have hope. The word of God brings us comfort. When we go to the scriptures, we hear God directly speaking through his words of life, and it gives us great comfort comfort just think for a moment what great comfort comes when we read in God's word about the very presence of God in our lives as his children think of the comfort that would come when you read in his word the promise of God to never leave you or forsake you when things are good he doesn't leave you when things are bad, he doesn't forsake you. Think of the comfort that that would bring. Or the great comfort that would come when you read of his promise of mercy and grace and forgiveness. 
that's there for you when you mess up, when you make mistakes, and you're reaping the end result of that mistake physically, just remember that there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness, whereas the world would have you to believe God can't forgive that. The Bible says God will forgive that, has forgiven that, and you are forgiven because I have grace and I have mercy on you as my child. Think of the great comfort that would come when you read in his word of the promises of eternal life that we have in Christ. That when we get the worst news of our life, that we've got some ailment, that our life may be at danger of being lost. The comfort that would come from reading in scriptures that would tell us, your life is not in danger of being lost. Because as my child, you cross from death to life. When you came to me in faith. I, I shared this, I think it was last week, but I mean it. If you ever hear someone say, Brother Dwayne's died, you don't listen to them. Because Brother Dwayne didn't die. My body may shut down, but me, I'm going to be with Jesus. Where do I get that from? I didn't pull that out of thin air, folks. Scripture told me that, and it gives me comfort. Think of the great comfort that would come when you read of the promised reunion that will come when Christ comes again. Brother Chuck mentioned it this morning about looking around in the room and remembering where so-and-so sat and so-and-so sat. And, and then you remember that because of the impact they made on your life, but then you know, you, 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 you get to think for a moment, wow, what a great reunion that'll be to see them again. But more than anything, it'll be a reunion to come together to praise God. And Brother Chuck said it real nicely this morning that that's what Robin's experiencing even in this moment. It's just praising the Lord. I really want to say something even more encouraging, but I'll get a whole lot of funny looks this morning because most of you, some of you won't be able to understand it, but I'm going to say it anyway. In Robin's timeline of eternity, you and I are already with her. Because eternity has no time. We live in finite time. She doesn't. Scripture says a day in the house of the Lord would be like unto a thousand years. That's not a literal saying. He's just making a statement. Our life is but a vapor, a second in heaven, hundreds of years on earth. You see what I'm saying? In our time, we're not there yet. Someone say, where, how do you, where do you come from on that? Well, just read Revelation 4 when you see all the believers standing around the throne praising God, yet the rest of Revelation hadn't happened yet. It's because Revelation 4 is written from a heavenly timeline. The rest of Revelation is written from an earthly timeline. That's why. So in Robin's perspective, we're there. We're just not there yet for us. That may not make sense. But that's what Scripture says. The mystery of the faith. Praise God. You see, there is comfort in Scripture if we would just go to Scripture. Sometimes we are as guilty as the world in grasping at everything for comfort except for that which would give us comfort. And I want you to know the one thing, one of the things that God gives us to comfort us is not just the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
but he gives us his very word where he can speak to us the truths we need to hear to give us comfort in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our loss. And then thirdly, there's the, the last thing that I believe God gives us to bring us comfort, and that is that God comforts us through other people. That he can bring up that next point. God comforts us through other people. Daddy, bring up that next point, please. Thank you. There, through others. In second, look at verse 4. We read 2 Corinthians 1 a second ago, but I, but I want you to focus on a verse. Look at verse 4. He says, He comforts us in all of our affliction, listen, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. God gives us comfort so that we can comfort other people. I, I hate to say, but people are increasingly thinking that the church meeting is irrelevant. I can just log on my computer and worship at home. And you can even do that live, by the way. Like our stuff's online for people who miss it. But there are some churches that just stream it live, where if you don't want to get out of bed that morning, you just go log on your computer and shoot the, the message up on the screen, and you can sing the songs and all that. There, there may be a time and place for that, but I'm telling you what it's leading to is the idea that we don't need the local body of believers to meet together and fellowship together to, together. We live in a social media world where everything is online and we sometimes seem to be more interested in what's going on on the online world than we are in our own very world. I mean, you sit at the dinner table and everyone's got their phone out and they're more interested in what everyone else is doing that's not around the table. You see what I'm saying? We live in that kind of world and that's eventually, I'm telling you, if we're not careful, that's going to come in and it already has in a lot of ways come into the church. And let me tell you what you rob yourself of. No one can come off the computer screen to give you comfort because they're not there in person. And everything they give you, for the lack of a better term, is a canned answer, a canned sermon. Whereas individually, when we meet together, I can go to one of you and I can reach my hand out to you and I can tell you I'm praying for you. I can embrace you in a hug and let you know that I love you, that I care for you, and more than that, God loves you, and God cares for you, and there's a physical embrace that comes from that, and that's something that the technological world can't offer. And, and don't take this as, oh, Dwayne's anti-technology. I'm not. But I am anti-losing the local church because of what the local church is there for. And make no mistake... When Jesus established his local body of believers, one of the many reasons for that was for comfort of one another. Just listen to a few of these verses, and these are just a few. There's more. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, uh, the writer of Hebrews says to encourage one another daily. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, carry one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. 
all we go through, the difficult times, the times of great adversity, and, and the time of great testing, God uses other people to comfort us. I, I can't tell you how many times God has used people in this church to bring comfort to me and to my family. And I hope, I pray, that I've in some ways brought comfort to you at times. Because that's what we're here for. Scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens, that we're to carry one another's burdens, we're to help each other out. We're, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bond that forms there, and it comes through fellowship with one another, and it's not fake, and it doesn't have to be forced, it doesn't have to be coerced, it just happens. You, you, just, you get to this point, I'm telling you right now, there's people that I've met that weren't touchy-feely people, and never you really use the word, I love you. But then you minister with them, and you're around them, and you fellowship with them, and you build this bond with them, and all of a sudden, when something happens like what we've experienced or any number of things, you start to hear people embrace and say, I love you, and I care about you. There's just walls that come down because of fellowship with one another, and you don't get that through a computer screen. You get that through coming together as a church. And God uses you to comfort others with the same comfort that he has given you. Probably the best example of that that I know of is I have a pastor friend that is no longer pastor. He's retired. But... Um, when he was in his, about my age, I guess, he had a, a young son, six, seven, eight maybe, and they lived right across the street from the church. The church was on the highway. And one Sunday morning, he come out the door of the church just, just in time to see his son dart out across that highway going home, and his son was hit by a car and it killed him. And he said, for, for six months, I asked God, why? What, what was the purpose of that? I don't understand. Which are questions that we ask? We ask why. We ask I don't understand questions. And, and they're real. He said, I never lost faith. I just didn't understand. He said, and now I'm not going to tell you that I fully understood in my ministry why that happened but i will tell you i'm a lot closer today than i was then because in the next year and a half in that church alone i walked through four families losing young children and i couldn't have walked them through it if i hadn't felt the comfort of god myself and i thought that's exactly what this scripture just said did you not catch that you comfort one another with the comfort that you yourself have received in Christ. See, I'm, I don't have every experience in the world, and there are some things that if it happens to you, I can't relate. Praise be to God, my mother and my father are still alive. If you've lost a parent, I can't relate. I can't. But there's other, other people in this room that can relate exactly to what that's like. Praise God, I haven't lost a child. And I, God forbid that ever happened. But there may be some of you in this room who have. 
and you can reach out where I never could. There, we, we, we're here for one another. And, and God gives us these great gifts. Faith, his word, and his church to comfort us in our time of need.